0: This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, February 11th, 2022 on KUAF. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, how Arkansas Children's is dealing with a surge unlike any before when it comes to children in COVID-19. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith has that story in about 12 minutes. Governor Asa Hutchinson is supporting an expansion of Arkansas's prison system. He's proposing a 498 prison bed addition to the north central unit in Calico Rock. He says the cost of the expansion is not yet fully determined, but he thinks it could be between 60 and 100 million dollars. He says the figure will be better known after architectural designs are completed. The latest numbers regarding COVID-19 in Arkansas indicate an easing of the Omicron surge. But still, the virus remains a danger, especially for people who are not vaccinated. The governor says the good news is in the last week, active cases have been cut in half. And yesterday's new caseload, 1,825, lower than a week ago Thursday. There were 10 additional deaths from the disease in yesterday's report from the Arkansas Department of Health. Tomorrow, the Fayetteville Public Library will host an immigration and citizenship information session. Diana Dominguez, Multicultural Community Liaison with the library, says while the library has hosted similar events before, this one is different. Uh, What's a little bit different about this is that we've also paired it up with a citizenship clinic. An actual opportunity to meet with immigration attorneys on site to have their application filled out. Um, to have someone review it,
1: have it be prepared, packaged up, and hopefully um, sent off. So we're really happy to know that Mid-South Chapter of AILA is volunteering to offer this opportunity for us at
0: the library. Ellen Weintrout is with the American Immigration Lawyers Association. She and other attorneys will be on hand tomorrow to lend their expertise. She says while individuals can and do complete the process on their own, the path can be much easier with a professional's help.
1: If you have the opportunity to speak with an attorney for free, why not, right? It can definitely be a daunting process for people who are not represented by attorneys. And so this is a really good opportunity for people to come out.
0: Registration for tomorrow's free information session and citizenship clinic is available. Walk-ins will also be welcome. There will be bilingual immigration attorneys on hand tomorrow at the Fayetteville Public Library as well. If you'd like more information about the American Immigration Lawyers Association, AILA.org. And the Fayetteville Public Library's website is F-A-Y-L-I-B.org. Tomorrow's clinic begins at the library at 9.30. This is Ozarks at Large. With me from his office in Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, I don't know about where you are, but almost all the snow from last week is gone here.
2: I I haven't noticed. I've been in a fog since we beat Auburn, so I don't know what's going on in the world around
0: me. Did you keep your shirt on? That's the big question.
2: (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes. Nobody needs to see that. Yeah. (laughs)
0: all right, let's talk about the i think this is the final part of the state of the state twenty- 2020, twenty um twenty twenty two good grief it's already twenty twenty two a series that talk <laughs> business has been doing uh kind of looking forward different elements of the state this one about tourism that you wrote
2: yep yeah we're with our with that state of the state series we're looking at what we think are the critical categories uh of the arkansas economy and some politics would encourage everyone if you just want to get caught up on what's going on in the world around you that's probably a good little series to read it's not a it's not a lot but it's a good series and this last one on tourism um in in pulling it together it dawned on me again it's not a new uh, revelation but it was that how fast everything just shut down in 2020 uh after the first you know the COVID outbreak began and Uh, The leisure and hospitality sector in Arkansas was one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing uh, over the past decade. Sector employment was uh, 97,800 in January 2010. It rose almost 23% uh, to to 122,500 in January 2020. In December 2019, the sector hit record employment of 122,900. But just four months later, which is not a lot of time, it plummeted almost 30, almost 40% down to just 75,000 jobs in April of 2020. Um, Tax revenue, the 2% tourism tax uh, revenue uh, dropped to 13.6 million after setting a record of 17.6 million in 2019. Um, So just there was a wall Um, Our Arkansas tourism ticker, which we do, showed that the hospitality revenue in 17 Arkansas cities fell almost 23%. uh, And um, there was a little over over 14% decrease in the monthly average of Arkansas jobs. So, I mean, from going – and this, I think from – if you're in that sector, this is what you face. I just can't imagine – All of these small business owners, uh, restaurants, hotels, you name it, convention centers, just, you know, when we talk about the world stopping, it literally stopped for the state's tourism industry. The good news, Kyle, though, is it's it's coming back. It's not coming back as quick as it was halted, but it is coming back. For example, the state's 2% 2 tourism tax between January and October of 2021 was up 50%. Uh, compared to 2020, and and here's what I think is the key in terms of the recovery, the 2% tax in that period is up almost 16% compared to the record-setting year in 2019. So I think we're seeing um, a rebound. I've heard analysts uh, who watch the industry talk about people are wanting to get back out, and they are. I've heard people who are in the industry talk about a welcome return of customers of business because people are are wanting to get back out, getting in restaurants, going zip lining, you name it, whatever, riding bikes, um, staying in hotels. Um, so the industry's coming back, but I just, again, looking through these numbers, I was just struck about as to how quickly it just fell off a cliff. Well
0: back, but not fully back. Also, describes air travel throughout Arkansas as well as the Fort Smith Airport, doesn't it?
2: Yes, and, and part of the same story, uh, the Fort Smith Regional Airport, their traffic uh, in planements in 2021 was a little over 45,000. That was up uh, a little over 22% compared to 2020, or you know, 2020. Uh, but it's still down almost 51% compared to the pre-pandemic year of 2019 um in the airport the fort Regional airport it's the smallest of Arkansas's three commercial fields but it had uh posted four consecutive years of growth it was traffic was really beginning to return to the airport and then just bam um it it fell off and and we we we're seeing that at the other at little rock and xna um for example, I mean, their traffic is is coming back, but uh, it's still down at both airports. It's still down uh, below where it was uh, in 2019, the pre-pandemic numbers. So, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, like I said, we've seen the 2% tourism tax numbers come back, but people just aren't traveling yet uh, like they were. A lot of indicators, a lot of future, a lot of surveys that measure future confidence suggest that it will return, but it could be 2023, uh, if not early 2024, before we see some of those pre-pandemic numbers return.
0: Uh, you and I have talked in the past about Kyle Parker and if uh, who's with the um, Arkansas colleges. Oh, help me out here, Arkansas.
2: College of Health Education. Yes,
0: and you should listen to him when he has a goal or or an idea, because more often than not, it comes to fruition. Put in that same right. category, Dr. Rosalie Walker Russell of the Community School of the Arts, and we're seeing an idea of hers come into fruition.
2: Yeah, she's a dynamo, that's for sure. Um, several years ago, she started this idea have a community school of the arts, um, and so she launched it, and then she said, we want to build a what she's calling a center for creative arts in Fort Smith. And they're well, well on their way. They're going to be breaking ground soon on this um, facility down near the Marshall's museum on the riverfront in Fort Smith. Um, They raised um, 3.7 million last year. It helped them um, trigger a challenge grant with the maybe foundation. They just maybe foundation just gave another $750,000. Um, the campaign has raised seven and a half million, um, Dr. Russell, uh, Dr. Russell says they need to raise about another 5 million to complete, but she's confident they're going to do it. Um, the thing that I like about this project, uh, and I know it's not business necessarily, but maybe it is, you know, we talk a lot about workforce development, teaching people trades and that kind of thing, which are very important and we need to do more of it. But we also need to have these facilities and these opportunities for students to learn uh, dance and you know this facility is not just it's not just dance and singing and theater. They're going to have um, teach folks how to cook, culinary culinary labs, um, and students at area high schools. There'll be programs for them that can be part of their uh, after school programs. Uh, it's also uh, programs for adults, but. I just think for a, it's important for any community, I don't care how large or small, for students, especially young adults, young children, to have access to good quality arts. If you can teach people um, to, you know, foster that creative mind, to give them a creative outlet, I think it just does wonders for folks, young and old. And so, um, proud to see this. Uh, moving forward and and proud to see their fundraising efforts be successful. And hopefully in the next year or two, we can talk about the groundbreaking and how great the new facility looks. Michael Tilley
0: is with Talk Business Politics. You can read that entire State of the State 2022 series and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, have a great weekend.
2: All right. Thank you, sir. If all
3: you know of KUAF is our weekday programming, then you don't know KUAF. From far-off destinations... ...and surfing spreads around the world...
2: Well, it's a kind of freedom, and that's one thing... ...to the
3: latest in culinary delights... delights. ...and
2: also her recipe for seaweed, panna cotta.
4: Plus, we learn about the sport...
3: ...even shows that take us to the edges Uh, of our our own mind.
4: ...optimistic, cheery person can be challenged by the right right period of waiting. How to ease the agony of waiting.
3: This and much, much more available each and every weekend here on KUAF. For our weekend schedule, go to kuaf.com...
0: And click on programs. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas Children's Hospital reported an all time high of COVID 19 patients last month in light of the Omicron wave, nearly double the amount of patients they saw last June at the height of the Delta variant. Arkansas Children's Hospital's Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical and Academic Officer, Dr. Rick Barr, told Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez Smith yesterday about the hospital's management of this latest wave, the trends in those cases, and their anticipation for the future.
5: Yeah, it it was difficult to navigate that all-time high, both because of the number of of kids with COVID in the hospital, making sure we had enough isolation rooms. Um, The the overall hospital census was not an all-time high, but that was a lot of kids with COVID to handle all at once. What impacted us even more was we had a lot of our hospital staff that were out with COVID. At one point, we had close to 300, you know, doctors, nurses, you know, clinical people that were out sick with COVID, and so we were short-staffed. We were able to make it through without really changing our operations or canceling, you know, surgeries, things like that. But that that was that was a bit of a struggle. Um, we're definitely in a much better place today. You know, today we have uh, 15 kids in the hospital here in uh, Little Rock and four in our hospital, you know, up in Northwest Arkansas in Springdale. So a total of 19 kids in the hospital compared, that's that's about a third of what we were looking at, you know, across the system, um, you know, two weeks ago.
4: Absolutely. And how has this wave been affected with other childhood respiratory diseases like flu, RSV, et cetera?
5: We're still seeing a fair amount of those other viruses, even even in the midst of this, you know, surge of COVID. What we have seen, the sickest kids that we've seen this time around uh, as compared to Delta, but with Omicron, it's the younger kids who have COVID and RSV at the same time or COVID and flu at the same time. Those are the sickest kids we've seen. Back with Delta, it was the you know adolescents. It was the teenagers that had underlying conditions like maybe obesity or something like that that were the sickest. Omicron is very different in in how it affected kids.
4: Different also in terms of severity. Um, can you speak a little bit to that and maybe an estimate of how many of these cases are turning into more more serious cases, maybe pneumonia, I don't know if you've seen any like ventilator usage. That sort of thing. Yeah, we certainly
5: have. We certainly have with Omicron, about ten percent of the kids in the hospital, you know, at any one time. So, you know, presently today, with with fifteen kids in the hospital, we have three um, three in the ICU or four in the ICU, and three are on ventilators. So, it always it's always averaged between ten and twenty percent of the kids in the hospital have been critically ill. That's uh, you know that's less than what we saw with Delta, um, but. You know, the, the numbers are much higher because Omicron is so much more contagious. So even though it's less severe, you're going to see a lot more kids get sick because it's so much more contagious and spreads uh, so fast. You know, if you looked at the total number, we, we had, um, you, know, during the, um, you know, during the month of January, we had um, um, over 300 kids with, uh, with COVID admitted to the hospital. It was well over 300. The max we saw back in August with Delta was 130. So it it was two and a half times the number of kids that required hospitalization, even though Omicron is less severe.
4: And what trends has Arkansas children seen with these cases? Are they primarily children who are unvaccinated or is this something that's across all demographics?
5: It's almost all unvaccinated. Um, You know, that's one thing we've seen about the vaccine is it really does a good job of preventing hospitalizations and severe disease. Um, You can certainly get COVID. You can get Omicron if you've been vaccinated. We've seen a lot of that, a lot of breakthrough infections, but the vaccine does a great job at preventing severe disease. So almost all the kids we've seen hospitalized are either unvaccinated or too young to get a vaccine. You know, it's only kids over five that are eligible for a vaccine at this point.
4: Does the news that we're getting closer, perhaps, to vaccine uh, eligibility for for these younger kids, uh, what does that do for the hospital?
5: Oh, we, you know, we, we promote vaccines every day, and we think that the, the best way to protect kids from getting really, really sick you know, the vaccine studies, um, if you really break it down, the, the, the vaccine trials, you know, that are presently undergoing FDA, they worked really, really well in the younger age groups, in the six-month to two-year age group. So, it, you know, that group is, you know, you could say they're ready to go. We should be doing vaccines in that group. It was the two- to five-year-old age group that they thought, okay, we may need a third dose to get them really immunized well. And so they're, they're, they're working out those details with the FDA now.
4: And I was going to ask: uh, Are is Arkansas Children's in contact with vaccine manufacturers and research to, to be at the front lines of of that news?
5: Yeah, we're we're constantly working with the CDC and the FDA. We um, we, we actually were part of a coalition of children's hospitals that are reporting our information to the CDC as to what kind of kids we're seeing and how sick they are. And, you know, have several publications we've submitted as a coalition of children's hospitals on what Omicron is doing to kids.
4: And on the topic of Omicron and, and the variant specifically, how is it manifesting itself in children? Are there symptoms of Omicron that are perhaps different in kids than they would be in what we would see in adults?
5: Not, not that much. We're, we're predominantly seeing upper respiratory infections, you know, which is a little bit different than Delta. Delta, we saw a lot of lung infections, you know, bad, bad pneumonia with Delta. Um, with Omicron, we're seeing more kind of classic respiratory virus symptoms with, you know, congestion, runny nose, cough, bronchiolitis that may require hospitalization and oxygen, but uh, really affecting the upper upper respiratory tract as opposed to the
4: lower. And any, any message to parents with this information in mind?
5: Yeah, the, the, you know, the traditional public health measures work. Wearing a mask, getting vaccinated if you're eligible for a vaccine, you know, washing your hands, those, those are the, you know, those are the measures that work and will get us through this. You know, we're in much better shape now than we were, you know, two weeks ago, but we're only halfway back down to our baseline of where we were before Omicron. So we still have a ways to go, and I encourage people not to let your guard down yet. You know, hopefully in a couple weeks, we'll we'll get back to where we can really, you know, think about, okay, do we need to be wearing masks in public if you're vaccinated? Things like that. Right now, it's still too early.
4: And you mentioned, you know, we're in a ways down and a little bit away from the peak, not far yet. How does that make you feel in terms of burnout, perhaps comments you've seen from staff and Surging capacity, you know, being on the brim, we're so far into this. Um, What does that say for hope?
5: Yeah, it's we we definitely have a lot of burnout. But, you know, we're you know, we're the only children's hospital system in the state. So we take our mission very seriously. We have to be here for kids. And so we'll do what we need to do. We do a lot of work to support each other and, uh, you know, try to help each other out through, you know, the, the stress. We just hope there's not another wave. Um, you know, that, that, that's our biggest concern is it's been two years and we've had really, you know, three to four big waves and we, we hope that this is the last one. Ozarks
0: at Large's Rachel Sanchez Smith spoke with Arkansas Children's Hospital's Dr. Rick Barr over Zoom yesterday. The pediatric hospital reported an all-time high of 46 COVID-19 patients on January 19th as a result of the Omicron variant. That's compared to the previous record high of 24 admitted patients that took place last June.
3: American singer, songwriter, and actor Josh Groban and his Harmony Tour with Preservation Hall Jazz Band will perform on Thursday, July 21st at Walmart Amp in Rogers. Tickets are now available at amptickets.com
0: or 443-5600. This is Ozarks at Large. With me via Zoom is Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back. Kyle, thanks for having me. I am anxious to hear your opinion about the movie we're going to talk about this week. It's Marry Me. It has Owen Wilson and has Jennifer Lopez. And I'm a Jennifer Lopez apologist. I like everything she does. And I hope that I hear that you've enjoyed
6: this movie. Well, Kyle, this morning at least, I will not be letting you down. Yay. Uh, I can't make any promises for future recordings, but Hmm. this week I won't let you down. Uh, This is a really cute movie. And J-Lo and Owen Wilson are great. It's a a romantic comedy, right? It is. Uh, And the premise seems, you know, far as romantic comedies go, it seems fairly original. Uh, Stop me if you've heard this before. Jennifer Lopez plays pop star. Say that three times fast. (laughs) Right. Uh, And she is preparing to be married in a ceremony slash concert with her onstage performer. They have a duet called Marry Me, which is top charted song in the world. And she finds out just before she goes on stage in the wedding dress that he's been cheating on her. A a viral video gets published showing him kissing her assistant in a hotel room. And so she decides right there and then that she is going to look out in the crowd. And she happens to spot Owen Wilson's character who's holding a sign that says, marry me. It's not even his sign. It's a friend's sign. And j Lo decides he seems harmless enough and that she's going to marry him instead. So she calls him up on the stage, they get married, and the rest of the movie is just about them trying to figure out if they like one another, if the marriage is going to work, so forth and so on. It's it's really, really cute. Yeah, so I can
0: hear people hearing this description saying, well, this sounds light and frothy, and maybe it is, well, it probably is, but with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson too you know, completely charismatic actors, it sounds like you just go along with the ride.
6: You really do. Um, You know, every rom-com, I feel like it's impossible to escape at least one or two cliches. Um, But, you know, Owen Wilson plays this dopey math teacher. He's a, a single dad. And, you know, he's just his trademark, dopey, charismatic self. You know, I I call him in my review, I call him the antithesis of Adam Sandler. Because whereas he can play the same dope in every movie, (laughs) it doesn't get old. He's so relentlessly charming when he does it, you can't help but root for the guy. Whereas Adam Sandler plays the same character in every movie, and and it gets old, and I don't root for him. (laughs) But, you know, they are so relentlessly adorable together that you look past some of the cliches, and some of the traditional formulas that rom-coms use uh, because they, their chemistry is, is just undeniable in this movie.
0: What I also like about this is it's a romantic comedy where the main characters ages start with fours or fives. That's not always what you get.
6: Right. You know, this isn't a walk to remember or the notebook, you know, this is, this is a rom-com with J-Lo who is 52 now and doesn't look it at all, Mm -hmm. but this movie wouldn't have been the same if they had cast a couple of 20-year-olds in these roles. It wouldn't have been as good. Uh, because, you know, I feel like one of the the defining traits that these two bring to their on-screen couple is, you know, the wisdom of life, the ups and downs of life that they've each gone through. They're both divorced. Like I said, Owen Wilson has a kid. Uh, so they they know the ins and outs of marriage and, you know, the advantages and disadvantages that it brings and the potholes and the, the fly highs and... And they they bring all that because they've they've seen that in life. So it's it's a more convincing movie than it would have been if they'd thrown a couple of, you know, tweens or twenty-year-olds in
0: there. All right. So J Lo plays a pop star. One, does she sing, two, does she dance in this movie?
6: She does. And I feel like the producers made a wise choice in casting her for the role because not only did they get the lead actor slot filled, they got half of their soundtrack done as well. She sings, you know, three or four songs, original songs in this movie, and she provides a good sound score for it. All
0: right, it's we can go to the theater to see it or we can stay at home to see it.
6: Yes, uh it'll also be available on the streaming series uh streaming service Peacock.
0: All right, so I'm going to watch this. Which you I, should. I was going to do it anyway, but now I'm really going to watch it sooner rather than later.
6: Well, and you know, if there's three holidays that they make a lot of movies around every year, Christmas, New Year's Eve, and Valentine's Day. Right a lot of the movies centered around these holidays ended up being pretty much disappointments and letdowns because they are just cliches made to to sit around the holiday. This isn't one. Go ahead. So, you know, if if your Ozarks at large listeners are looking for a Valentine's Day idea and they want something traditional, they could go to the theater and watch this movie with their beloved because it's adorable.
0: Excellent. What you and I are going to do sometime in the future, Courtney, is write the Arbor Day rom-com.
6: The Arbor Day rom-com, yes. <laughs> Roots of Love. Roots of Love. I will be right there. I think it'd be a smash hit or a Flag Day rom-com.
0: Oh, oh. Uh, okay, I'll get back to you with the title on that one. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yes. we digress. What else is coming out? <laughs> so the big movie coming out this week, the, the big blockbuster is Murder on the Nile. Oh, right which has Gal Gadot and it's based off of the old Agatha Christie novel published in the 30s, I believe. Mm -hmm. So this is the big movie coming out this week. Is that only in theaters? I believe it's only in theaters. Yeah. And what do you hope we talk about next week? Next week, I'd hope to talk to you about a new Channing Tatum movie called Dog, where he has to transport uh, a service dog of a deceased military member from one part of the country to the other. I've seen an ad for this. Hijinks ensue.
0: Yes, I've seen an ad for this, and it looks like it could be good or it could go south pretty fast. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully I'll let you know. All right, full review of Marry Me in Friday's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, have a great week. Kyle, you too. The nonprofit group Save the Illinois River, based in northeastern Oklahoma, claims insufficient regional wastewater treatment in northwest Arkansas threatens the watershed shared by both states. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports.
7: As the pandemic deepens, more Americans seek to escape urban congestion, remote work in beautiful environments, or take early retirement. According to recent relocation data, Arkansas saw a 44% increase in people moving to the state. And that places higher demand on utilities, including wastewater treatment systems that discharge treated effluent into regional waterways, including the Illinois River. The 1,700-square-mile watershed spans five counties in northwest Arkansas and northeastern Oklahoma.
8: Illinois River in Oklahoma is designated as a uh State scenic river, and it's not uh, designated as a scenic river in Arkansas.
7: Ed Brock-Smith is co-founder of Save the Illinois River, STIR for short. Chartered in 1984 by the state of Oklahoma and headquartered in Tahlequah, the group works to protect the Illinois River.
8: And because it is a scenic river in Oklahoma, we have high water quality standards, including a, a limit for phosphorus,
7: more and more phosphorus, Brocksmith claims, is being discharged by wastewater facilities in northwest Arkansas due to overpopulation growth and development. Phosphorus is a chemical element found in many foods, animal and livestock feed, detergents, and in soil amendments. Excess phosphorus in lakes and rivers can produce massive algal blooms that rob precious dissolved oxygen. Oklahoma mandates strict numeric quantitative water quality standards— To control phosphorus levels in the Illinois River, Arkansas's water quality measure is narrative, descriptive. Brock Smith says the state of Arkansas does not consider the Illinois River to be impaired by phosphorus. The state of Oklahoma does, he says, but proving so is a challenge.
8: Uh, Neither state has conducted a total maximum daily load study, a TMDL, of the Illinois River impairment. says Sturt thinks it is required by the Clean Water Act.
7: Rocksmith says the National Pollution Discharge Permit for the Northwest Arkansas Conservation Authority, which encompasses 10 cities, was approved by the Arkansas Department of Environmental Quality in late December, despite objections from Oklahoma agencies and STIR.
8: Of 7.2 million gallons a day and a phosphorus limit of 3.5 parts per million instead of the current 0.1 part per million. Of phosphorus and a discharge of 3.6 million gallons a day. So the discharge is doubled uh, and the uh, phosphorus limit is increased.
7: Federal regulators are reviewing the ADEQ permits, a decision to be issued next month. Stur also claims Springdale's wastewater treatment facility is lax on water quality testing for phosphorus and that technology exists to remove excess phosphorus to protect water quality downstream where recreation sites are increasing.
8: The Walton Family Foundation has invested millions of dollars in a whitewater park on the Oklahoma border at the former Lake Francis in Oklahoma near Watts, Oklahoma. I think this is going to be beneficial to the river because I think it's going to make more people from Oklahoma and Arkansas aware of the river and the need to protect its water quality.
7: Heath Ward is Executive Director of Springdale Water Utilities. He's also Springdale's Vice Chair of the Northwest Arkansas Conservation Authority, which includes Bentonville Rogers, Lowell, Bethel Heights, Cave Springs, Elm Springs, High Centerton, and Tontytown, all located in the Illinois River watershed. The stated purpose of the authority is to develop and implement cost-effective regional solutions to the challenges of providing environmentally sound wastewater and biosolids infrastructure and watershed management. Ward says the authority is doing a good job managing the recent surge in population and commercial growth.
9: When you look at the operations that we have in Northwest Arkansas and the capacity we have. We're running uh, roughly 14 million gallons a day through the Springdale plant. And we're doing an excellent job in terms of the treatment there. Uh, We far beat our uh, phosphorus limits. And in fact, in the last 10 years, our phosphorus concentrations have actually been very stable. So we're able to handle this growth
7: And the Wastewater Authority, he says, is doing a good job controlling phosphorus pollution.
9: You know, we're putting less than uh, uh, 40 pounds a day of phosphorus into the Illinois. And for a 14 million gallon a day plant, that's not very much. Uh, Some guy who threw a barrel of soap over the uh, bridge would cause more harm to uh, to the Illinois than our plant would.
7: While population growth is increasing in the region, Ward says industrial growth remains relatively flat.
9: There's no new poultry plants being built in Springdale. The ones that are running now are running to capacity. And uh, they've done a very good job of uh, cleaning up their act as well over the last 20 years.
7: Ward says more industries in northwest Arkansas are switching to low phosphorus cleaners, which is helping. But he says household garbage disposal food waste remains a problem.
9: A lot of it is has phosphorus in it, and we need as human beings to have that phosphorus. But garbage disposals are, uh, in the words of one of my sewer managers, one of the worst inventions uh, ever created in terms of what it does to the sewer.
7: Ground-up food waste burdens wastewater systems adding excess nutrients, requiring removal, composting is a solution, or disposing of food waste in the trash. Ward credits the Illinois River Watershed Partnership, headquartered in Cave Springs, for educating rural and urban landholders about best clean water management practices. Ward is an active board member. The city of Springdale's planning agenda shows the Springdale Water and Sewer Commission is looking at selling around $60 million in bonds to complete infrastructure projects in the city, including a $35 million upgrade to the wastewater treatment facility. Right now, that
9: number's uh, kind of broad and we're refining that. In fact, we've been working on that last week and this week with my staff. But what the intent is, is we have done a five year Study on our wastewater plant on how we need to improve it. And we want to expand our capacity, but at the same time, how do we improve the process? And so, what we are going to do is we're going to spend money on more clarification.
7: Clarification helps to better cleanse wastewater.
9: We do a good job with what we got, but boy, if we had a couple more clarifiers, we could really dial in better effluent results. And we got great ones now. You know, we're getting rid of 100% of our solids. We're getting a rid of 100% of our uh, ammonia and and a lot of our chemical BOD, 100% of it's gone. Phosphorus, we're getting about 97, 98% of it out.
7: Heath says after the city of Springdale annexed the city of Bethel Heights in the summer of 2020, Springdale water utilities stopped illegal dumping of raw sewage into ditches in the dark of night by Bethel Heights wastewater operators likely the biggest polluter in the region, he says. Save the Illinois River, however, contends that Arkansas must adopt a river-based numeric water quality metric to better measure such incidences and reduce wastewater treatment plant phosphorus pollution. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
0: You can listen to Ozarks at Large or any of the programs on KUAF wherever you are with the free KUAF app. You can download it absolutely for free. through your iPhone or iPad. It also lets you listen for free wherever you are to KUAF 2, our 24-hour-a-day classical music station, and KUAF 3, home of jazz and locally produced music programs.
3: Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, February 26th at Walton Arts Center featuring guest artist Sandeep Das, performing Deniku Jirakna's Tabla Concerto, presented alongside Grazina Batsevich's Overture for Orchestra and Schumann's Second Symphony. Tickets available at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. The Lunch Hour, KUAF's monthly concert series, continues Friday, February 18th, with musical performance by Amour and Lunch from Secondhand Smoke, doors open at noon space is limited registration and masks are required kuaf.com for more information the lunch hour is sponsored by george's majestic lounge happy hour concerts a Fayetteville tradition for over 40 years George'sLive.com for
0: more information this is ozarks at large with me on the phone from her office in bella vista is becca martin brown features editor at the northwest arkansas democrat gazette welcome back becca
1: Hi, Kyle. So, you know what Monday is, right?
0: It is Valentine's Day.
1: Good man. So what's romantic at your house? What might you do for Valentine's Day?
0: Well, actually, I have made dinner reservations for uh, Monday night. Not necessarily original, but but I think on the everyday, one of the things that Laura and I like the best is, um, I mean, you know, keep in mind that I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Uh... Watching, watching a favorite movie or television show together on our couch under the same down comforter, maybe with the dog in the room, and and just Aww. spending time together. We're we're I, I I love that. I think we're our own uh, each other's best friends. So we just got
1: through redoing our living room so that it's more congenial to TV watching, sure. which we had sworn we wouldn't do because we have these beautiful windows in Bella Vista. So. I have two Valentine's Day dates. One will be with my daughter to see something rotten at Arkansas Public Theater, and then I'll come home and watch the Super Bowl. Oh,
0: fun. Very good.
1: Because I love all of you, our listeners out there, and I don't want you to mess up, mm-hmm. and I know that romance is in the eye of the beholder, here's a whole list of things that you can do. Okay. Today through Sunday, The Northwest Arkansas Mall in Fayetteville is hosting a Valentine's market with booths by small businesses. Inside the mall. I like that. There's a pop-up Valentine's art show at 572 West Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Fayetteville. That would be next door to where the little art shop used to be.
0: Exactly. I know what you're talking about.
1: And they're going to have works by Julie Odom and Anita Heitmanik, who is the proprietor at that art shop, Kim Seberg, Robin Skakova, and Susan Idlet, who does amazing bright-colored stuff. That's from 4 to 8 today, 10 to 6 tomorrow, and noon to 4 on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tonight, there is a sweetheart dance at the Arkansas Air and Military Museum in Fayetteville. And you need to check on whether there's room. But you get dinner... Dance lessons and a dance. You can call 521-4947 and find out if there's room and what you should wear. Mm. I think people underregard children's theater as entertainment if you're not parents of those children. Right. But if you've been to Arts Live Theater, you know that's not true. And they're doing a show this weekend called Hammered: Thor and Loki. Oh, the Princess of Asgard are really just ordinary boys.
0: <laughs> I love the idea.
1: Seven o'clock today, two and seven tomorrow, two on Sunday at their theater at 818 North Sang Avenue in Fayetteville. Tickets are 10 and $12. And I can s- you miss?
0: I saw on their website, they want you to purchase the tickets in advance. Okay. Uh, don't, don't do it at the door.
1: Okay. Good to know. In Fort Smith, Fort Smith Little Theater is in the middle, or is beginning, their 75th anniversary season, and they're doing some revivals from previous seasons, and one of them is Smoke on the Mountain that opens this weekend, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a revival come to town in the 1930s. It's a musical. Yeah. Yeah. With the music you would expect from that. Right. And... There's shows at 7.30 today and tomorrow, two on Sunday, and again the next weekend. tickets are $12 except for opening night and their special February 14th performance, which is $20. That's
0: Monday.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. FSLT.org. Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers, as I mentioned earlier, is opening a show called Something Rotten.
0: And I loved you, you explained the concept last week, and I loved it. It's, it's in the time of Shakespeare when playwrights are beginning to hear, oh, the next big thing will be the musical.
1: Yeah, with dance breaks.
0: With dance breaks, of course, yes.
1: It is literally don't wear something tight. You won't be able to breathe funny. <laughs> Excellent. Eight o'clock today and tomorrow, two o'clock on Sunday, And then again, the next two weekends, tickets start at $25. And while you're there, the Zephyr Blevins Gallery at the Victory Theater has an exhibit of heraldic bags and banners by Susan Jackson, who is an almost lifelong member of the Society for Creative Anachronism, which studies and reenacts the Middle Ages. So you can go and check out the heraldry that you might have seen if you were in this village where the play is. Saturday... The Eureka Springs Chocolate Lovers Festival. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Eureka Springs Community Center. Tickets are $12.50. Two... What did she she call it? A double bill? Two things happening at the Museum of Native American History. One via Facebook Live, one in person. Hear Our Voices, Indigenous Stories with Mitch Walking Elk, at 11 a.m. Saturday. And then Creative Visions, Love Letters to Your Family History with Bobby C. Martin at 4.30 in person.
0: Right. I talked to Mitch Walking Elk this week, and I think that's going to be something else when when he presents uh, tomorrow morning.
1: And it's Facebook Live. Right. And the other one is live and in person for $5, and you can check out mona.us. There is an Art Walk Saturday at... all over downtown Springdale. There are stops at R. McClintock Fine Woodworking, Pages Market Boutique, Arts One Presents has some things at Shiloh Square, Shiloh Museum of Ozark History, and Natural State Rock and Republic. That's from 11 to 4. And then Terra Studios tomorrow has a family Valentine's Day craft with rock painting, painted glass ornaments, card making, paper heart chains, and coloring pages from noon to 3. And if you mess up, <laughs> right? If you mess up. If you're late on Tuesday, the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks in Fayetteville has a full moon forest therapy walk.
0: I'm intrigued by this.
1: Me too. It says experience the energy of the frosty moon, twilight, and a tea ceremony. Five to six thirty. Tickets are twenty to thirty dollars. And if you're really late. On Thursday, Crystal Bridges has a film noir double feature. Right. Nightmare Alley, 1947, and No Way Out. Oh, I just realized how bad those would be for Valentine's Day. Not a, not a... Nightmare Alley and No Way Out.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: So now I'm praying for the end of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, work that out yourself. Six o'clock, it's free. <laughs>
0: Well, Becca Martin-Brown is the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We appreciate her time every Friday. Becky, Becky, Becca, happy Valentine's Day. We'll talk (laughs) again next week. How's that?
1: Thanks, Kyle, or whoever you are. (laughs) It's the Community
3: Spotlight on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Happy to be joined by Grant Thomas. He's with Soul Studios in Fort Smith also the producer and director of a documentary called The Fabric of Fort Smith. First of all, Grant, thanks for joining me.
10: Absolutely. Good to be here, Pete. So Soul Studios is a world-class recording facility right here in the heart of downtown Fort Smith doing all kinds of photo and video-related projects as well, for instance, like The Fabric of Fort Smith.
3: Now, Grant collaborated with the Fort Smith Museum of History to make this film. It chronicles, of course, the African-American history of Fort Smith. Was it your idea? And then the the museum kind of said, oh, we'll help you along with this.
10: Actually, Mayor McGill in his office approached me last year in February for a private event he was hosting at the end of Black History Month last year. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to to, uh, pull this together right off the bat, but You know, obviously, we've had another year to to kind of refine things and revisit things past that initial event that this was originally created for. And it's really evolved to become such an amazing story that really highlights the rich history, uh, black history that Fort Smith has leading up to his, um, you know, uh, him being the first elected uh, African-American mayor in Fort Smith. Doing this project for me was so enlightening because I had to truly immerse myself into that community and in in people's houses and going through people's personal belongings and and photos and you know it was a learning experience for me as well and I think that's what made it so beautiful.
3: Screenings for The Fabric of Fort Smith begin today and run through Sunday. Showtimes are 1, 2, 3, and 4 p.m. each day at Malco Theater at 1200 South Waldron Road.
10: If you can't catch it at the Malco Theater um, in Fort Smith, it is going to be aired on KNWA on February 26th at 11 a.m. So uh, for all the folks up in Northwest Arkansas, if you can't make it down to Fort Smith to see this film, um, you'll have an opportunity to catch it from the comfort of your living room uh, later this month.
3: Perfect, Grant. Thanks for letting us know about this, and I'm really looking forward to uh, viewing this. Thank
10: you so much for having
3: me, Pete. From South School Avenue to South Waldron Road, the Community Spotlight, and KUAF Public Radio, local matters.
0: Monday on Ozarks at Large, how medical debt can be a huge burden for thousands of Kansans, and how groups are trying to reduce that debt and challenge all of us to rethink debt, and what it means not just for individuals, but for all of us. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore will have that report for us Monday at noon and 7 p.m. and on demand for you through our free Ozarks at Large podcast, which is available everywhere.
3: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Little Guys Movers, a community-oriented company rooted in creating better lives for customers and employees alike, providing jobs and serving customers for over 28 years. More than just a moving company. LittleGuys.com for information.
0: One of the most infamous legal cases in Arkansas history, the trial of the West Memphis Three, is in the news again this week. Tuesday, a prosecuting attorney asked the Crittenden County Circuit Court to deny a request to allow evidence from the murder case be retested. Brandon Tabor, with our partner Station KASU in Jonesboro, recently talked with George Jarrett, with our partner Talk Business and Politics, who's been covering the developments. Last time that we
8: talked... Uh, you told me that Keith Cressman wasn't opposed to having the evidence uh, from the crime scene retested, but that was more than a month ago. What changed his mind?
11: You know, Brandon, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I tried to get a hold of Keith this morning to talk to him about the case. You know, yesterday on February 8th, they filed that motion in Crittenden County Circuit Court, and it laid out a number of, uh, of, of rationales for not wanting the uh, DNA testing to move forward in the West Memphis 3 case. A couple of them were interesting to say the least to me.
8: Uh, so what were his reasons for not wanting the uh, evidence to be retested?
11: A couple of them were kind of procedural. I think that there was some question about like which county the uh, the Eccles team, when they filed their motion, if they filed it in the right county, because, you know, Crittenden County and Craighead County are in the same judicial district. But obviously, they're two separate counties, you know, and The crime occurred in Crittenden County, but the case was adjudicated in Craighead. So some of that's kind of like in the weeds type stuff. Uh, One that stood out to me, though, was that the prosecution had made a case. We're trying to make the case to the judge that advanced DNA testing, if they use this MVAC DNA testing method, that it could alter the evidence in some way, meaning that the, the evidence could be placed into a solution and then all the DNA would be extracted. Um, The argument they made was if you do that, then potentially if Jesse, Miss Kelly Jr. or Jason Baldwin in the future requested testing, that the evidence would be altered. And so that that might be a problem. The only question I had about that was the prosecutors had told me that they were going to seek a court order to destroy the evidence months ago. So the argument is that they're saying it could be altered if they use these DNA testing methods. And then the other, you know, you know, you have to juxtapose that with the fact that they were wanting it destroyed. So it, that one doesn't make any sense to me.
8: How are the defense reacting to this uh, petition from Cressman?
11: Damien Eccles is, you know, he tweeted out that he's, he's basically accusing them of corruption and that they're continuing this corrupt process, you know, that led him to be in prison for 18 years. And so he's not happy with it. You know, they sent out some basic, you know, that we're very displeased with this, you know, and all and all that kind of thing. I've been trying to remind everybody, though, today that I think there's a misconception out there that somehow the prosecutor has stopped this process in its tracks. And that's not true at all. The only way this stuff could actually ever be retested is through a judge's order anyway. It takes a court order to do it. So the prosecutor in and of himself couldn't just. Come in and say, "Oh, we're going to test it," or he couldn't just come in and say, "Oh, we're not." Now, here's the thing, though: if the prosecutor had not filed this motion, he has so many days to respond to, you know, Eckles' defense team's petition. If he had not filed it, then what would happen is, is a judge would would only have one set of facts coming from the defense team, and so it's much, much more likely that the judge would just say, "Okay, go ahead and let's just allow the testing since the prosecutor doesn't oppose it." because he didn't file anything so him filing something it's just going to be another roadblock potential roadblock but the ju- it's still ultimately up to the judge
8: is there any idea on how the judge could be leaning towards this uh, could he allow it or what do you think
11: i don't think there's any way to know how the judge is leaning in the case and in fact i'm not exactly sure which judge is hearing it because you know judges rotate through the judicial district so um and it, and it, and here's the thing a judge is never going to tell you or give any clue as to how they're leaning in a case has been my experience and i also will say this i'm i'm not sure what the time frame is for the judge making a decision. So we may be waiting on this. It may be a day or two. It may be months. Who knows?
0: Brandon Tabor with our partner station KASU in Jonesboro recently talked with George Jared from our partner, Talk Business and Politics, about this week's developments in the West Memphis Three case. This is KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Lowell. Today's show produced by Timothy Dennis. Contributors included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Jacqueline Froelich, Michael Tilly with Talk Business and Politics, Becca Martin-Brown features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette and Courtney Lanning. Community Spotlight produced by Pete Hartman. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums.